Do you like U.S. military history, especially stories about our veterans? If you answered yes, then I know you'll enjoy Duty and Valor. Hi, I'm Wayne Marks, and each week I'll tell you the amazing stories of heroes who pushed away their fears and showed true valor on the battlefield. And although their stories are different, the common trait they all share is that they all serve with pride and lived with humility. And I'm honored to tell you their stories. Welcome back, everyone. On today's episode of Duty and Valor, you'll hear the story of a man who enlisted in the U.S. Navy at the age of 17 and achieved the highest enlisted rank in just nine years. A man who sensed danger and jumped into action to fight back against an enemy attack. A man who manned a machine gun out in the open for over two hours while sustaining dozens of wounds. This is the story of U.S. Medal of Honor recipient U.S. Navy Lieutenant John Finn. John William Finn was born on July 24, 1909 in Compton, California. He dropped out of school before he finished the 7th grade and enlisted in the U.S. Navy at the age of 17. He completed recruit training in San Diego before attending general aviation utilities training at the Naval Air Station Great Lakes. At first, he worked in aircraft repair before working as an aviation ordinanceman. He was beyond a competent seaman, and after only nine years in the Navy, he was promoted to Chief Petty Officer, the highest enlisted rank at the time. By December of 1941, John was stationed at Naval Air Station Kanaohe Bay on Oahu, about 15 miles from Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. There, John was the Chief Aviation Ordnance Man and was leading a group of 20 men who were tasked with maintaining the weapon systems of the PBY Catalina Flying Boats of the VP-11 Patrol Squadron. Just before 0800 on the morning of December 7, 1941, John was still in bed talking to his wife Alice about who was going to make their morning coffee when through his window he saw an airplane flying where it shouldn't be. It was flying low and when he looked closer, he noticed that it wasn't a plane assigned to the station as it was a single-engine aircraft. Then moments later, just as his neighbor Eddie Sullivan knocked on his door to tell John he was wanted at the station, he spotted a second plane. John and Eddie heard the sound of machine gun fire as they jumped into John's Ford and raced the one mile back to the station. John said that on that one mile journey, he broke every speed law that was ever set. It was as they were nearing the hangar that they were driving to when a Japanese plane roared by them and they spotted the large red circle signifying that the aircraft belonged to the Empire of Japan. Seeing this, the men knew that this wasn't an exercise and it was the real thing, and the day of infamy had arrived. What John and the others were seeing was the first wave of Japanese aircraft that had commenced their surprise attack on Pearl Harbor and the surrounding military targets. John stopped his car and raced across 50 yards of open ground to a hangar just as a Japanese aircraft opened up on the hangar with its machine guns. When he finally made it there, he saw that his men were firing back with the machine guns mounted on the planes that were still on the ground, even though some of those planes were hit and in flames. Other men had improvised mounts and were using guns from some of the other planes. In his account of the events that day, John said that over the months prior, he had been telling his superiors that they did not have the gun mounts and they wouldn't be able to make a strong defense in the event of an attack. His concern was ignored and they had to improvise a defense. Two of his men were engaging the attacking aircraft with 30 and 50 caliber machine guns. John approached the man manning the 50 caliber gun, the squadron's painter, and said, Alex, let me take that gun. 
John knew that he had more machine gun experience, and he didn't like where it was placed. The men had placed the guns in a position that offered them some protection by the hangar, but limited their visibility of the incoming planes. John found a movable training tripod and moved the machine gun 25 yards to an open area on a parking ramp. As soon as he set up position out in the open, John opened fire on the incoming aircraft. He faced the low-flying aircraft and could see the pilots' faces as he fired on them over the next two hours. John faced wave after wave of attacking enemy aircraft, and he had to endure a torrent of bullets and bombs blasting around him, but he remained at his gun. Over that two-hour period, he sustained over 20 injuries, mostly shrapnel wounds, and he was hit in his left arm and he lost all use of it. He struggled to walk as his left foot was fractured when it was hit by an enemy round. When it appeared that the attack might finally be over, his men saw him covered in blood and in bad shape, so they implored John to go receive medical care. He refused and continued to do so until he received a direct order to go get treatment. Later that same evening, John returned to the hangar even though he was in a lot of pain and struggling to walk. He led his men as they rearmed the remaining airworthy aircraft in preparation of another attack, and it wasn't until the next day when he received the proper medical care and was hospitalized. For his selfless acts that day, then-Chief Petty Officer John Finn earned the first Medal of Honor of World War II, and on September 14, 1942, John was on the deck of the USS Enterprise as the medal was bestowed upon him by Admiral Chester Nimitz. He would later receive a commission in the Navy and retired at the rank of lieutenant after 30 years of service. After the war, John and his wife Alice moved to a 90-acre ranch near Pine Valley, California, where they fostered five Native American children. John lived until the age of 100 when he died on the 27th of May, 2010. He is buried alongside Alice, who passed away in 1998. They lay in rest at the St. Carmel Cemetery in San Diego County. Lieutenant Finn's story reminds us of the enormous sacrifices made by those in uniform, the brave men and women who are prepared to give everything in service of their country. And he was the embodiment of the Navy's core values, honor, courage, and commitment. Thank you for listening to this episode of Duty and Valor. If you enjoy the podcast, we ask that you follow us and leave a review or five-star rating, which will help new listeners find the show. Links to the sources for today's show can be found in the show notes, as well as at dutyandvalor.com. And please join us next week, where we'll tell you the story of another true American hero.